Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm George Fragopoulos. And this is... Oeuvre. Don't tap the keyboard when we do... <laughs> the Oeuvre Busters! <laughs> wow. Wow. George, this is like the 14th episode. I also... I think our... Um, I think our intros are getting looser, if not... Definitely not yeah, tighter. Yeah, we should tighten them up. Let's, <laughs> them up. Let's do another one. I'm Liam Billingham. Wait, who am I? Oh, that's right. Oh my! God. <clears throat> yeah, I'm... you just said they got. Okay, I, I'm Liam Billy. I was kind of joking. Okay. I thought we were, I thought we were rolling. <laughs> no, we're into it. Let's just keep going. Um, uh, okay. Woo! So it's, yeah, it's hot there. It's hot I here. I feel this. It's hot. It's hot there. Don't let's not talk about the weather. Let's not do that thing. This would actually just, be a great day to record episodes the... about uh, an episode on Stray Dog. Stray Dog. Well, we're not. We're not talking about Stray Dog today. What movie are we talking about? So Liam, we're talking about. Quiet, the Quiet Duel from 1949. Or Shizu Kanaru Keto is the Japanese title. Uh, I, um, I don't know if you nailed that or not, but I will just nod my head I'll, and be like, I yes. Nailed it. Nailed it. No, I've been complimented a lot on my um, pronunciation of... All right, let's just move on. So, <laughs> Quiet Duel is the second film uh, directed by Akira Kurosawa and starring Toshiro Mifune. What happens in this movie, George? So The Quiet Duel, a very simple plot summary. The Quiet Duel tells the story of Dr. Kyoji, an idealistic and caring doctor um, who contracts syphilis during the war while operating on a patient. Fast forward a number of years, and Dr. Kyoji is working at a hospital with his father, Dr. Uh, Konosuke, who's... Um, Kyoji is also engaged to Misao, um, who's obviously like a younger woman. Um, basically, Kyoji battles with his illness and he's kind of taking care of himself. Um, it, he really can't cure himself. It seems like there's the implication being that it's a five to ten year process of going through some sort of kind of treatment to cure himself of syphilis. He feels like he needs to break up with his fiance because he can't fully be with her, that is, sexually be with her, as well as kind of emotionally and spiritually. And we should have, we'll talk about that as well because I think it's one of the most interesting parts of the film. Uh, there's also a subplot with the man who gave him syphilis, who kind of. Nakoto. Yes, who returns. Um, and it turns out that he's about to have a, wi- a child with his wife. Uh, but obviously, kind of the fact that he has this um, illness. It puts like the child in some sort of jeopardy. Um, there's also another subplot 
with nurse Rui uh, Minigishi, who falls in love with Kyoji. And once Kyoji kind of breaks up with his fiance, she makes this really sad but kind of beautiful overture to him towards the end of the film. And he quickly rejects her. And basically the film um, ends with, well, obviously the engagement kind of being broken off. There's a confrontation with the syphilitic patient. Child dies during childbirth, if I understood it correctly. Um, And basically kind of the film ends on a somewhat optimistic note with Misao getting married to another man and with kind of Kyoji in some sort of way seemingly accepting his burden and kind of returning to his doctoring sort of ways. Yeah, it's a little bit of a movie about like work as a way to save yourself. Uh, it was directed work will by set you free, Liam? Is that what you're saying? Work- Yikes, <laughs> not what I said. Uh, it was directed by Akira Kurosawa, his eighth film. It was r- based on a play called The Abortion Doctor by Kazu Kakuta. Hmm, very subtle title. Sen- yeah, very subtle. And it was written by Senkichi Tanaguchi and Akira Kurosawa, produced by Sojiro Motoki and Hisao Ichikawa. The cast includes... Toshiro Mifune as Dr. Kyoji Fujisaki, Miki Sanjo as Misao Matsumoto, who is the uh, his 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 fiance who he decides not to marry, the great Takashi Shimura as Dr. Konosuke Fujisaki, the father to Toshiro Mifune's character, Kenjira Umera as Susumu Nakata, Noriko Noriko Sengoku as uh, Nurse Ryushu Minigishi, and Chiyoko Nakakita as Takiko Nakata. Um, this film was made was uh, was Kurosawa's first film not for Toho. It was made for Daie, which was a different film studio. I believe I'm saying that right. And a like a a group of directors and producers called the Film Art Association, which was made up of mm. Kurosawa, Senkichi Tanaguchi, Kajiro Yamamoto, Mariko Narusi, and uh, Sojiro Motoki. And it it kind of sounds like it was like the directors' company that Coppola, Friedkin, and Bogdanovich started in the 70s to make movies that uh and both i believe ultimately failed because they were they were hard to sustain um they just want to this make movie art man was made um um kurosawa wanted to make this movie to give mifune a non-gangster part i read that yeah which is interesting it was kind of like an attempt to give him something else to do what do you think of the movie george i enjoyed it i didn't love it um either parts of it that felt very um too melodramatic Mm. um a little bit like overwrought the fact that once i found out it was a it was based on a play a little bit of that kind of made sense um it is very there's a kind of claustrophobia to it or claustrophobia may be too strong of a word but a certain kind of staging i feel that kind of like doesn't maybe transcend the, the limits of the very few kind of sets that we see um but having said that, I mean, I think, uh, again, like, Mufuni's great. There is that great kind of speech that he gives towards the end about, like, the physical pain he's in, both emotionally and His breakdown? Spiritually, yeah. yeah. That, like, long take? That long take is amazing. But what's also amazing about that scene, and maybe, again, we'll maybe turn to it, but with the way in which the nurse just quickly kind of tells him that she's in love with him and he just kind of like doesn't even like really address it is an amazing yeah. amazing scene it's so fucking well done um but watching it again it's funny watching this and then watching um uh 
God damn it. What did we talk about? Drunken Angel. Yeah, Drunken Angel. Sorry. Should lay off the whiskey in the middle of the day. But watching them like back to back and thinking about like all. Why? What's I, the point? I mean, what's the, at this point, right? What is the point? Um, yeah, who cares? Gulp. But watching this film, I was like, oh my God. Like, I, I never really, I never really thought of Kurosawa as a very um, spiritual director. And maybe that's like. Uh, oh, interesting. Me being kind of, um, you know. Dumb. Dumb. Maybe it's you, me, stupid. Dumb. I'm stupid. stupid. I don't know anything about films. But now watching these two films, I'm like, oh, he's very much a, like he's very much a spiritual director. Yeah, I would agree. Um, a lot, and we can definitely get into it. So I loved this movie until the scene that you really liked, which is that <gasps> uh, climactic scene. Um, I so I take issue a lot with the way that people talk about not you, well maybe you, but I take Come issue with me, the way that people talk about like films based on staged plays. Like fuck around to find out. I lo- what? You heard me. What did you what did you fucking <laughs> say? I I get annoyed when people I really like movies that are almost like plays. In the sense that I like movies that take place in one or two locations. I like the feeling of being in one environment and i really think the, the the like the whole idea of a movie to me is like watching people think and do things and those are my favorite kind of movies really simple kind of things going on i was thinking a little i was weirdly I, this is going to sound really strange but i was thinking about the climax of this movie in relationship to the climax of the movie Avengers Endgame. <laughs> of course. No, I was thinking about the same which, thing. Because I was thinking a little bit, they're so similar, but I was thinking about the way that like this movie feels optimal to me in the sense that it's about ha- watching actors or uh, it's about a director letting actors have a really strong experience that is then watched by an audience and like you feel things while you watch it. And like that might sound profoundly simple, except when you, not to sound reactionary, but when you watch movies now where it's like all about referencing and calling back to things and giving people like a uh, an experience where they can like think about stuff they did in the past uh-huh. like oh i remember this like moment from avengers endgame or whatever where like they reference captain uh captain america winter soldier or whatever like the kind of like sequelization or we've talked about this before this just feels like such a particular vision and it feels at least to me quite contemporary and i'm appreciative of how simple and I think the staginess really, really works. I don't mind watching like a filmed play. What the f- that's no. plays rule. Like what the f- like what are we you know well, like one of my favorite movies is a is Dogville. That's like a staged play. It's great. Yeah, but I mean that film explicitly. I'm glad you mentioned that too because I was trying to find like yeah other things rules. to compare it to. But like Exterminating Angel, for example, where obviously like everything is supposed to be or like. From, now I'm thinking about like other like Buñuel or Buñuel inspired films that again do this. Um, something like Lanthimos's Dogtooth, where the oh good the repetition of the of the scenes or the sights or just the fact that there's a there's a again this limited world is right. is part of and is played on in an intelligent and meaningful way. Mm. And the same thing with fucking Dogville, where clearly, yeah, it's clearly the staging of it is essential and in, an integral part to the film. All I'm just saying is, like, with something like this, it almost felt like, because part of me is also like, well, I don't want to, like, I, I don't want to just see a play filmed and then put on the screen. 
Like, why mm. Why would you, right? That's the whole point of fucking being in the theater. Like, to, one of the great things about being in the theater... But not every movie has to be, like, a, a like a, a massive epic, kind of. Like, it doesn't... No. You know, like, a movie... Do- a movie isn't good because it's, like, it changes locations every few minutes, you know? Like... No. Which I know is admittedly simplifying yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. But I'm, you know... But it's just like you to be a sophist and to use your wicked sophistry against me and my brilliant arguments i'm a i'm super soft i'm f- super soft in the belly oh, area oh, i've never felt more like socrates than i do yeah, right nice. now you mean you smell bad i smell bad and the state wants to kill me <laughs> oh no um yeah no i see your point i guess that i think that like movies have a, a movies can do a, a lot of different things but two things they do really really well um are give you a sense of scope but also, I think, give you, like, an incredible interiority of, a, of the way a character feels and what they're thinking. Yeah. Um, it's, it, you know, short of, like, the written word, it's, I think, the most powerful way to communicate, like, thought. Mm-hmm. And so I was really happy to see a movie. You know, it's interesting because if we compare this, I think that this movie has a lot thematically in compare in a lot thematically in relationship with Drunken Angel. Mm-hmm. But one thing that Drunken Angel does is it kind of creates a, a really specific setting. The, you know, with the water and all those things. Yes. This movie does that a little bit with the rain at the beginning when he's in the Pacific, when he's in the war and he's, he's doing the surgery where he contracts syphilis. But the rest of the time, we're sort of spending it watching people relate to one another, think about those relationships and act upon those relationships. And I, I think it's a nice... I, I appreciate the interiority of, of what this film is doing. Yeah. I mean, I'm, th- thank you, though, for, like, mentioning Drunken Angel. You're welcome. Because, I live to serve. Because you're welcome, America. Because <laughs> we're doing a podcast about Akira Kurosawa. You're, you're welcome, welcome, America. America. Because, no, because, like, that. USA. <laughs> USA. That's a great. USA. That's a great comparison because, again, you don't get, like, a lot of different. Um, it's still, like that film is still very intimate. There, it's not like expansive yes. or epic in any sort of way. It feels like it just takes place on like these, like three city blocks, <laughs> right? And it's basically that's where the entirety of the story is told. And I'm like, oh, well, but there's sets and there's like scenes in ball dance halls and there's sure. scenes like and markets and that. This film has none of that. This film is like five rooms. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like at least. It's a welcome change from feeling like we have to watch something that's super expansive. Also, I want to say something that I I, I feel like I'm being like, movies used to be better. But I tried to watch <laughs> um, Dr. Sleep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So HBO Max has the director's cut, which is three hours long. Whoa. So I was like, oh, I'm going to try to watch this. Who directed like, it that? It seems like Mike Flanagan. Okay. And like totally effective opening, like powerful movie. But I was watching it last night, and there's the early scenes in the movie reference the the original Shining film and story. And there's a scene where um, Danny meets up with the old man from the hotel whose name uh, escapes me. And I felt like very burdened by watching it because I haven't seen the Shining movie in at least five or six years. Mm -hmm. And like, I just, it was so nice to watch something that was just like an original story, 90 minutes, boom, bang. Like that was really, really great. And I think one of the most like renewal sort of um, regenerative things about this process is like, we're not watching franchise movies. We might be watching movies that spawned franchises, but we're not watching franchises. Um, I want to come back to the ending of the movie, but let's, let's get there. Let's talk about 
the farting. There's a lot the of the farting. It. So Shockingly. what do I mean when I say the? F- so there's a there's a little kid in the movie who has had an appendicitis. That's yes. When you and this, he can't. Sorry, when you put this he, in the script, I thought you were joking. But now that you mention it again, yes, I remember. Yeah, there's a little yes. boy, and like he, the, the instruction is he can't eat anything until he farts. Right. And there is a scene in the movie where, and I want to talk about this scene specifically because I, I wonder what it might mean, where Tosh, Toshiro Mifune as Kyoji Fujisaka is is sort of having a conversation with Misao Matsumoto, his fiance, and I think this is the scene where he's kind of like, "Don't come back." Like she keeps showing up at the uh, the clinic and being like, "Oh, I want to," um, uh, you know, making him dinner and trying to like endear herself to him because she knows that something has gone wrong. And during this very emotional scene we like hear laughter and then it cuts to the the patient's quarters yeah. and the boy has farted and there's all these close-ups of people in the ward laughing. Well, he's also playing so the harmonica. Kind of, or, or, he's playing the harmonica. Yeah. So there's like this celebration among the, the people that are the patients there. And earlier in the film, there's, there's reference made to the fact that like, the father of this young boy can't afford to pay for his treatment. Mm-hmm. And Mifune's like, don't worry about it, whatever. So this moment kind of has this upstairs, downstairs vibe to it. I don't know how to describe it, but I, I felt like it was worth bringing up in the context of like, why is this in the movie? Well, do you remember Mifune also says like, yeah, don't worry about paying. It's not like you live in the United States of America. <laughs> and they have a laugh and they're like, yes, because if you have a, if you have a tummy ache in the United States, you'll die. Because it's going to cost you $45,000. And if you can't pay for your tummy ache, you're just going to fucking die. Oh, you have a tummy ache? You're, Sorry. You're dead, motherfucker. Oh, your tummy hurts? Con- your tummy hurts? This country is a nightmare. Um, I just, I just, that to me was like a, almost a, um, how to put it, like a carnivalesque or a kind of ridiculous, I mean, ridiculous might be too strong of a word, but a kind of a grotesque, like a grotesque inversion or a grotesque kind of take on uh what Mufuni's character is going through in the sense like interesting and in it sense like they all he has have, to like, purge something from his system yeah or that they all have like these bodily ailments and that it's a like a, a really really small place for the film to have some like levity which it needs it's not a it's not a light film it's not but but also that there's yeah there's just this sense of like it's another bodily illness. I mean, I think what this film does really, really well, at least what it did for me, effectively, emotionally, is that it made me, at times, like, feel, like, the... Feelings? It made me feel feelings. I felt stuff. (laughs) I was like, wow, there's these people in this flat screen, and they're moving. It's almost like they're alive, (laughs) and they're real. And their feelings and their movement are a kind of flickering of light. Yeah. That gives me access to a world of forms yeah, it's and crazy. ideas. It's crazy. Um, wow. No, that I it, love Plato. It made me feel like the burden. You know, Susan Sontag has an essay in which she compares uh, movie watching to the allegory of the cave. Interesting. I That makes total sense. Of course. I'll yeah. To, duh. Yeah. Duh, Susan Sontag. Duh. duh. Of course. Duh. Duh. That um, has to be the tagline for this episode. Duh, Susan Sontag, of course. But I think um, you're right. I think there is a kind of like parallelism between the boys, like kind of like childish suffering of like having a bad having a bad tummy and yeah. like kind of well, the adult. There's a lot of angst in this movie. Well, and a lot of like, I guess what I was trying to say is like before you really interrupted me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. So it's, anyway, I, I was thinking I, I interrupted maybe... myself. 
<laughs> yeah, you fucker. That it's that the embodiment of like the sickness or the disease is really felt and present. Do you feel like um, I think related to that? One thing I think that is interesting about that, and to come back to the upstairs downstairs idea, the idea that the, the doctor is feeling feeling what the patients feel, is that this movie does not create much of a division between like the healers and the sick. Yes. Yeah. And nor no, does Drunken Angel. Yeah. Well, but it's it, and this is what makes this movie so to me like so like typically religious in the sense that like the, the saint is the one that yeah. suffers the most right or the saint let's say who is the one that cures is also afflicted with with the disease which he can cure ah i see okay so it's is is then do we do we think of like uh kyoji fujisaka as like a fujisaki is a martyr is yeah he a martyr figure? of course okay. yeah just like yeah. In, just like in drunken angel with the doctor and that one who's he's afflicted by like his alcoholism but also on the other hand he's a person who saves lives and one thing that's interesting in the dichotomy you know you know who did not like this movie very much is our buddy Stuart galbraith mm, yes he his review of the of the film is that it's taught it's stagey and it's artificial and it doesn't quite go anywhere. And he sort of says that the one of the things, and I, I think this is a good place to talk about this. One of the issues they had with Drunken Angel is they didn't know what Takashi Shimura's character was going to be like until they met an alcoholic doctor. Mm. And before that, he was kind of just a noble doctor type. And I think one of the great things about Drunken Angel is how cynical and angry yeah. and drunk Shimura is, but he still has faith in humanity. Galbraith's sort of opinion of this movie is that Mifune is too much of that like noble good doctor type which brings me to like a big question I have in this movie and I I put it down here is why doesn't Fujisaki just tell Misao that he cut himself and he has syphilis all of the problems of the movie are solved by that decision but I think isn't I mean but the the point of that isn't like doesn't that like again bring us back to like this question of masculinity like it's about like honored and dignity so that the idea is like he has like a sick or a bad disease because he even says it too, where it's only associated. He says, "Like I have this illness, this sickness, right. and I didn't even get it in a pleasurable way." He says, "Obviously, fucking." It's Which is what he, he wanted to do, but he was trying to be noble. Yeah, exactly. So I just read it as like, well, th- think about it. I mean, it's just like this very think about it. Think about it. It's just think like about a. It. You know, like he's like a traditional, and that like dooms him, right? It's this traditional um, masculinity. Mm-hmm. And he's bound to, let's say, just not being able to admit that he has this illness. And I think that that's interesting to think in about. So the, at the end of the film, Misao goes, gets married and sends him a postcard. And Mifune, or I should say, uh, Kyoji Fujisaki is like shown at work with his father, who he works in the, the, the clinic with. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are perform are operating in someone and there's there's a in the final shots of this movie there's this feeling of like he's doing his job he's good at it he's like given himself over to his profession as his main focus and I felt I, I think that the film views him as honorable and views him as good and I like you know talking about masculinity I feel like this is actually a kind of a piss poor representation of masculinity because it's like this guy can't admit to his faults and i think or not to his faults i should say he's so caught up in himself and what he's supposed to represent that he can't just like he didn't do anything wrong i disagree i think i think you're 
I think you're potentially not thinking about it um, contextually, in all honesty. Tell me more. Well, I mean, I mean, just think about, let's say, I mean, I don't know. I'm just like thinking about, I mean, it's a very different, obviously, kind of dynamic. But I'm even right. just thinking about, let's say, uh, like like closeted men in the like 80s or something. Mm. Or even fucking today, right? Who feel like yeah. they have to find themselves in relationships and, let's say, perform certain kinds of like traditional heteronormative kinds of like masculinity. And then maybe at some point are like, well, I can't do this because, and, but like are never able to like admit to their partners or their wives who they really are. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, that shit happens all the time. I'm not saying it's cool, but I'm saying like there are societal strictures and pressures that, per, that force people to make decisions they would rather not make. That's a good point. And I also think we're, we're you know, to put a blank or to put a uh, sort of a blank statement on it, the idea of honor and nobility is very, very important to Japanese culture. It was obviously very, very important at this time. So there's a certain amount of like need to save face that. But I'm also, yeah, I mean, I, I just like thinking about, let's say, contemporary media that looks back on, let's mm. say, early and mid 20th century masculinities, things like Brokeback Mountain, for example, and the ways in which like, clearly what the film is saying is that there were so many people that for a variety of reasons and in a variety of different kind of uh, ways, not just like obviously do sexuality, but for a whole right. bunch of reasons, right? Like just find themselves, let's say not being able to admit who they are and especially to the people like closest to them. I suppose that what I, I totally see that. And I think that's true. And I think that's like a really strong, and that, that speaks to the idea of Intori, in interiority which we talked about before mm -hmm. is like the inability to like take that which is within you and and sort of externalize it but i guess my issue is and again i'm viewing it through like a contemporary lens is that and uh, this is an interesting question because to me it feels a little dramatically inert mm -hmm. like That's it fair, doesn't yeah build upon itself which is like then what is the responsibility of like a film to be sort of like working in the time that it takes place and like working with those cultural mores versus like what should it be doing dramatically to keep it engaging and i should say i still found this movie engaging i just maybe maybe my response to it was that i was frustrated with the fact that he didn't say he couldn't admit it and maybe that's part of the point right is he can't talk about it um there's two moments I want to highlight real quick as we talk about this. Um, and then I want to talk about the end. But do you remember the moment towards the end of the film where... Two things. The first is the scene where um, Takashi Shimura and Mifune try to light each other's cigarettes. Yes. Yeah. I think that's just a beautiful moment of like a father and son thing yeah. and kind of like an interesting thing. I want to bring that up. But then... The most powerful moment in the movie to me is when Misao is about to leave and she says, we're getting married at two o'clock. We leave for the honeymoon at five. Yeah. And his response is the train will be crowded. Yeah. And she said, yes, I've heard that. And I found that so powerful because it's like, that's a two shot. It's held on them for a while. What else do you say? What else do you say? Yeah. No. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. It's it like the joke about like if you're on an elevator with someone and you're making eye contact you can't be like i don't talk to my parents like you have to say something like sunny out right yeah or yeah like the um uh, like back in the days when we used to go to restaurants and the 
waiter waitress would come over and like, hey, how are you doing tonight? Be like, well, actually, I'm going through a really kind of terrible yeah, like, so crisis right now. Yeah, so earlier I broke up with someone and yeah. my dog um, has syphilis and he yeah. won't admit it to anyone. <laughs> and um, My dog... <laughs> Which is awkward because Sparky, Sparky, I, br- I brought, I brought Sparky, him to do the doctor. Syphilis? Sparky, <laughs> Sparky, do you have syphilis? <laughs> Sparky, you could tell me, I love you, Sparky. I love <laughs> you. Regardless of what you're doing at night, I love you. Like, like no, you're it's still we, my dog, Sparky. It's not what you think. I accidentally got it from a other dog's bowl. Sure, you did, Sparky. Sure, he was you doing did. surgery in World yeah. War Two. Um, yes, but that also like that connects back to the other moments where. Again, like the woman's like, you know, I kind of don't have any issues with your illness and I might have fallen in love with you. And so then let's he, talk about that. Yes. And then he's I, like, there's a sick patient in room so-and-so. Can you give me his chart? So my favorite thing about the movie is Noriku Sengoku as the nurse, Ryu Minagishi. Mm-hmm. So Ryo, Noriko, Noriko Sengoku, you might remember from Drunken Angel. Oh, as the barmaid. Right. Yes. She's the barmaid who has also has feelings for Mifune's Yakuza character a little bit. Like, she likes him. Right. And so, and Noriko Sengoku's in a lot of movies. She's going to come up in more Kurosawa movies. She was kind of a stable member of the family. So, I don't know if you look this up, but in the subtitles, she's referred to as a dancer. I did not. No. She's not a dancer. She was yeah. a prostitute. Oh. The, sub- the American subtitle translates yeah. dancer as prostitute. So, the implication is that this character is previously a prostitute and she's been given a job and she's pregnant with a baby. Yeah. And she's been given a job by Mifune's character and he works for her. And she kind of is like a fish out of water in the environment. Like there's the idea that she doesn't, she's not quite like your, the movie portrays her as like not quite your typical nurse. She's kind of like gossipy and chatty and like kind of outwardly, I would say kind of realist or, or cynical yeah. about Yeah. She's just like, she's very cynical. Yeah. But she's in love with him, and I, f- I, the the implication is that over the course of the film, she kind of transforms from this kind of like meh, I don't really care about this kind of thing to being like a very dutiful nurse, mm-hmm. which is the biggest transformation in the movie. I don't think Mufuni's character kind of starts as one thing and stays that thing the whole time. Totally, the yeah. movie kind of ennobles him. But how did you feel about this transformation of the character? Yeah, I mean, I, I, in all honesty, I wasn't necessarily even thinking about a, a transformation. I was just thinking about it like, wow, she is one of the most captivating parts of the film and again she's incredible how heartbreaking i was just like struck by how how heartbreaking that scene is because yeah she does have like a lot of moments earlier in the film and none of the earlier moments really captivated me although i was like oh she's kind of like the cynical pessimistic um you know nurse who's kind of like seen it all she's jaded but yeah that scene jaded sorry wow it's all good that's Remember scene. that Aerosmith song? God, I mean, now I do, unfortunately. Yeah. No one's thought about <laughs> it since 2005. But, um, yeah, I was like, that scene just like totally broke my heart. It was a beautiful scene. The, the climax. The climax, yeah. Man, that scene didn't do anything for me. But it, even that it moment, was... even that exchange, because there are, it is almost uh, like the, two uh, the, scenes. Okay, of... yes. Yeah, the end. So, I really love this movie. I thought the camera directing or the use of the the cinematography in that scene is incredible because it's like a five-minute take that just follows him around. And like Kurosawa is a great example of in-camera editing where he like knows where to put the camera so you get your close-up, your wide, da-da-da-da-da. It moves around a lot. But, you know, as we said at the beginning of the episode, I found 
the decision to have Mifune play like a non-gangster character, like a little more like interior, a little more straight-laced, so to speak, really compelling. His performance in this movie is so quiet yeah. for most of it. Like he's like whispery. He he uses that kind of like natural kind of <gasps> that he has in his voice in like a very different way. He like exudes authority, but he doesn't have to try. But I found this like explosion. When characters explode emotionally in movies... I find it hard to sustain that for more than like a minute. And this goes on mm-hmm. and on and on. And at a certain point I was like, <laughs> I get it. I think what you're, I really liked, what upset. I really liked about it is that it, it very, it kind of crystallized in all honesty, like what was at stake where like all this kind of like innuendo and double speak kind of just came out. And he was just like, really like, uh, he's like, listen, he's like, I have not touched, you know, this woman who I'm in love with in months or years. And like, I would right. have to wait potentially another five or 10 years to do as such. Like, right. so, so for me, one of the things that like it captured me about it was it's, yeah, it's just, it's like, it's honesty and it's directness. And part of me was also like, holy shit. Like I, I, I was like sh- shocked at how directly open this film was about like this guy being like, Yep, haven't fucked. Really want to fuck, but I got syphilis, so I can't fuck. And I was like, right. damn. It's like, weird that he says that. The only lines in English are yeah. want to fuck, can't weird. fuck. That was syphilis. audio. That was direct audio right there that you heard directly from Yeah, that was really good. Liam yeah, edited it in. Ch- yeah. I did. Um, so I was I was just kind of taken back by that, too. I was like, whoa. I was like, this film is very directly dealing with what's at stake. So I think for me, it was kind of like a very kind of, I guess, traditional, like cathartic moment. Well... First of all, catharsis is suspect. But second of all... As um, Aristotle no, would say, I would that agree shit with you. Sus. It's weird that he said that. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, can't He's... fuck, wanna fuck. And then he was like, <laughs> catharsis is... <laughs> Listen, catharsis, you're suspect. Um, I wonder what Aristotle... I mean, it's it's lost in history, but I do wonder what um, Aristotle's lost treatise on cam girls um, would have said. It, let me it, let me pull it up real quick. It, you have it? I thought let it was lost. Let me pull it up. Let me pull it up real quick. <gasps> you can't see right. it, folks, but Liam is gesturing towards me in a With very disgusting. Middle... No, this is the middle <laughs> finger. Don't make it be the other thing. Don't make it be the other thing. Um, I agree with you in that I think um, the writing in that scene's really good. The camera stuff is really good. Noriko Sengoku is really good in it. Except for the, oh, yeah, the, cries the wailing the, yeah, doesn't yeah. do it for me at all. Me too. But I just don't think Mifune is like there in that scene. I just don't. I don't think he's at that. At least the really, really amazing actor. Maybe like this was a stretch at this point for him. He'd been in like two other movies. Like he wasn't. You know, it's a tough, tough acting moment. And I just wish it had been a little more contained. That being said, like I recognize the need for that cathartic kind of thing. And you're right. Like, I think the writing is really, really good because he's repressed. He's a repressed character. And this is the moment where he's allowed to not be repressed. And then he sort of reveals himself to this woman. And she's like, I love you. And he's like, well, gotta go gotta. work. <laughs> Got work to do. Do you know what, what do you what? think? Mm-hmm. Oh, go no, ahead. sorry. Just, no, do... just, it's fucking, it's fine. It reminded me also, now that we're talking about it, it reminded me of like, um, I mean, Kafka to an extent, but also Kierkegaard, who famously, like, broke up with his fiance because he wanted to be, like, a bohemian and not, like, a typical bourgeois, like, married dude. 
Right. But there's an essay. How'd that work out? But there's an essay. Well, he turned out to be one of the greatest philosophers of all time. But there's that's an true, essay. That's true. Yeah, but was he happy, George? How, how glib of you. No, he's miserable. I mean, aren't we all? <laughs> I'm good. I feel but, great. I feel great. Never been better. Um, I'm going to go to the library today, pick up some books. Pick up some books. I mean, I do miss books. Nice. At least books from the library. You're I, literally, you're surrounded. I mean, I'm like fucking... looking at your apartment and I see like a refrigerator and books. <laughs> I meant books from the goddamn library. Um, libraries are the best. Shout out to libraries. They're amazing. Yeah. Our friend, Cal, Cal is, is a librarian. an amazing librarian. Shout out to them. I was thinking. Shout out to the, the Cal in all our lives. Kierkegaard. Um, who fa- famously Cal, br- broke Cal. up <laughs> Kelkergaard, who famously <laughs> who famously broke up with his fiance, and then there was an essay that was written by um, I believe it was Maurice Blanchot, who like made the argument that maybe Kierkegaard, I think this is in Bla- an essay in Blanchot, but basically that Kierkegaard might have been suffering from like some sort of like um, disease, right? So like he might have been like it might have had like syphilis, and it prevented him from like marrying his like the oh, love of his life and like was he like was he was he um did he have the syphilitic um, no no i don't think so i mean the the art i think the uh, the 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 part of the um essay just basically that he he has like a certain like deep dark secret that he can't share and i don't think blanchot ever specifically says that it is a an std but it just reminded me of like oh this like this interesting thing about like this person who bears this secret this incredible painful secret whatever it might be and they can't share with this other person and it does not, it prevents them from being with them. So it just kind of, I was like, oh. That is really interesting. Um, I was reading, well, eh, never mind. That's a digression. Let's talk about the themes and <gasps> ideas in this movie. I definitely think there's, I was looking back at our notes for our episode on um, Drunken Angel. And I think that there are some sort of thematic parallels to this movie. So just to really quickly look at what we said about Drunken Angel. What? No, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. This is what happens when you forget to open the notes in the document. Um, some notes from... So, real quick. Sanchiro Sugata. We had spiritual enlightenment as an element of that. Growth and change. Time passing. Time passing in this... I love the constant cut to the fence to with the, the fence, thorns yeah. on it. That's really, really beautiful. So, we see that here. A um, couple things we should talk about. A world where people are looking for meaning. Ooh, deep. Tensions between older and younger generations. Do we see that in this movie? I, I think we clearly see the looking for meaning in this movie. I think that's across. Well, that's yeah. kind of obvious. But the tensions between older and generations and younger ones. So I read this really interesting New York Times review. I forgot when it was published, but. 1979. That, uh, is it the one that begins with this talk, talking about this in relationship to Rashomon? Probably because this movie didn't get released here until 1979. So that there's the argument made there, and I forget who the film critic is, but that this film has been read as an allegory for kind of um, Japan's involvement in the war. So like, it's not a coincidence that he contracts this illness while he's a war doctor. I don't, I didn't see that review. Yeah. And that it's basically just kind of supposed to be like an allegory for um, like the sickness of nationalism. So, wow. 
and I didn't think about that until I read this review. I was like, oh, that's a very interesting and provocative kind of take. And shame, yeah, of course. Right, because yes, not being know, able Japanese, to admit. Like, like many countries in the first half of the 20th century, not all of Japan's history is flattering, so to speak. Uh, yeah, what other country might we be referring to? Any, <laughs> it's complicated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but just USA. Every, USA. Well, I was about to say, yeah, like just pretty much like every nation's. Every uh, nation also. All pretty much. Um. But that is interesting. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that's a really kind of, uh, yeah, powerful, uh, perhaps allegorical take on it. In your your notes for Drunken Angel, you made a comment about um, who's the drunken angel of the film. In this film, what does the quiet duel refer to? Ooh. You know, it's funny because I definitely was thinking about that too. I was like, wait, this... Movies called Quiet Duel, or at least in English translation, it's called well, that's Quiet the, Duel. Yeah, that's, so we might be talking about the fallibility of like a translation, but yeah. I don't know. I I, I generally or the don't fallibility know. of man. Am I right? Am oh I right? no, I mean I think it's supposed to. Re- it's just supposed to refer to like his inner strife. But the duel implies two people. Right. So, like, let's say this the the person who hold this um, the the I'm sick being person literally as a po- as, <gasps> go ahead the sick person that he is yeah. the. And the doctor that that he is. Isn't it ironic, Liam, that the doctor think? cannot cure himself? It's like uh, rain yeah. on your wedding day. Oh, my God. Alanis, get at me. Um, I don't know if this is a theme, but I think it's, a, it's something to mention, which is there's a parallel in the relationship between Mifune and Shimura in Drunken Angel as there is between Mifune's character of Fujisaki and the Nakata, the man who gives him the syphilis and mm-hmm. that Fujisaki goes to him and is like, you need to treat your syphilis. And the guy's like, I don't have it. I'm fine. Which is an interesting thing to think about as a parallel to Japan's involvement in world war two and nationalism, because this guy like rejects it. Rejects like, no, it, yeah. it's not a problem. It's not a problem at all, but the film definitely there's a callback. It's actually uh, kind of crazy how much how much similarity there are between those two things. We'll see. Yeah. So this, this is kind of like mind. an early iteration of the MCU. It's it's slowly building up to something. The Akira Kurosawa cinematic universe. Well, it's all yeah, but, but I, it's all about doctors. <laughs> you know, we're, and I think that we're gonna get there. I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but one of the most interesting things about the movie Seven Samurai is how the relationship between the peasants and the samurai and the tensions therein. And I think that these movies kind of explore for to be really blank about it, the relationship between those who can help and those who are helpless to some extent. Mm-hmm. And the idea of like there are, in all these films so far, there are people being like, I know what is good for you and you need to do this. And the rejection of that idea a little bit and and the consequences of that to some extent you know yeah it's an it, it it there is a certain amount of like this movie being about personal responsibility so to speak yeah yeah of course it's so. just funny also thinking i'm glad you mentioned the samurai films because we're watching this i was thinking again like these kind of themes of like spirituality and how you see them like in senshiro sugata um, you see it in Drunken Angel. Obviously, it's here. And none of the thinking like, well... A lot of flowers. Yeah. I was like, are those are those um, issues also like... Man- do they manifest themselves in like the uh, the samurai films? Like, But it's been a while since I've seen them. So I'm really looking forward to seeing them again and thinking perhaps about them as... Um, like what what are they doing thematically different from these earlier films? Well, and also how does how, how are some of the same thematic 
idea is going to come up in much larger films because obviously these i would say these last two films well keeping in mind it's hard to keep this in mind but we skipped a great number of not this is kurosawa's ninth film yeah so you know he's definitely like figured out what he's doing as a director and he's about to like steer into this relationship with a with an actor who's going to be successful enough to make to let him command like big studio budgets and make big movies so it's like how is this this stuff going to play out on like a much larger canvas? You know, Stray Dog at times has a document, like they filmed it on location in Tokyo, as Stuart pointed out when we spoke with him. And like, there's a, this field, the last two films have felt like movies made on sound stages. And we're about to like move away from that, at least with the next film and, um, in, in style and stuff. And it's going to be interesting to see how these themes play out when like you're working on a larger canvas or like in a more like, a real setting as opposed to a soundstage. Yeah, totally. I really dug this movie. I, I, I sort of think you brought up a good point about like the, 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 the great question, at least to me of like, why doesn't he just admit what's going on and how that's much more complicated than the dramatics of it would allow. Yeah. And I think also it, it becomes a little bit more easier to uh, swallow as a kind of dramatic focal point. If you also think about it in an allegorical kind of way. Are you smiling because I said swallow? Liam, grow up. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm George Oh, no, no, no. We're not yet. Um, (laughs) Next up on the show, uh, Stray Dog. Yes. Which I can't wait to watch. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. When you write a review, we read it on the show. Sometimes it comes much later because of how we record this show. We just recorded like five episodes in the past week. Um, But we read it. But we read it on the show, and, and you get a little burst of, like, if your review's nice, only if it's good. We don't <laughs> read the bad ones, if I'm honest. Um, but please rate, review, subscribe to the show, say nice things. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess that's – is there anything, else? Mm, is there anything uh, else? No, I would say watch this film, though. It's a good one. Yeah, watch this film. Watch yeah. Stray Dog. That's up next. And um, I'm Liam Billingham. Whoa, I'm George Fergopoulos. And this was Oeuvre Busters. Nailed it. Nailed it. All right, Sparky, Sparky, stop drinking that water. Sparky. (laughs) We figured out that it has syphilis.